Welcome to Above the Mess, the podcast where we bounce between our interests, dive down rabbit holes, navigate our brains, and come up in Wonderland. I'm Maddie Van Houten, and with me is Tib Winterfield. Hi. Not Izzy today. No, I'm I'm uh, I'm not Izzy. I am from a whole other country across the seas. I have to tell you, the first podcast, um, when it was Izzy, Rose, and myself, a lot of my in-real-life friends were like, who's the girl with the uh, British accent? It's a really nice accent. I was like, okay. Okay. <laughs> well, yes. You don't like your own friend's accent? I, I also, my accent is, I mean, obviously it's British, but it's kind of an yeah. all over mongrel British. I've lived in a lot of places across England, across the world. Uh, I can, if need be, do the very posh English accent. I went to a very posh school and it's possible to do the, uh, the upper class elocution lessons um, accent if I need be. <laughs> and my dad was a Cockney, so I can slip that way. If need be, I generally find whenever I go abroad, I go one of two ways. So whenever I'm talking to anyone who isn't very English, posh. I'm either, all right, love, how are we doing? Yeah, lovely, lovely. Or I'm like, hello, I'm an English boy. <laughs> <laughs> we have crust scones and tea, please. <laughs> I love that. See, my my kind of accent is also a bit mongrelly, but... I'm the opposite. When I'm talking to someone with an accent I used to have, so for example, my grandmother, mm-hmm. who has a very thick Minnesota accent, my accent will slip to her accent. Yeah. Not further away. I will start drawing out my O's. Fair enough. Um, yeah, so it's funny that yours is, it's when you're talking to someone who is not British. <laughs> That's when I slip. Um, yes, it's a, yeah. it's a habit, but I try and break it. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Honestly, it gives you a little bit of the mystique that you have in our friend group. Um, yeah. Tib is a super spy. Uh, we're not sure which international organization, but he's definitely a spy. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny any of your rumors. See? There you go. But he's with us today because Izzy has moved um, and does not know when her microphone will be getting back to her. <laughs> she packed it in a box. And is not sure where it is, um, which is fine. And I've totally done that before. Mm-hmm. Not with a microphone, but with other stuff. <laughs> Thankfully, I've never moved house. You've never moved house? Well, that, really? that's not entirely true. Um, obviously, I have moved house. I left home. Um, but in terms of building my own or home house, I had a house. Um, then I went away to the Middle East for work for four months. And while I was away, mm-hmm. we bought this house and my wife moved into it. And I came back to a moved-in house. So I have moved house, but I skipped all of the hard work. You didn't have to do any of the packing. Nope. I missed out on all of it. <laughs> Honestly, I think you got the better end of that. <laughs> well aware of that, yeah. It was lovely. Just sitting by a pool in, in a marn. Oh, yeah, it's nice. Nice, yeah. Boy house. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, yeah, I have only moved house as an adult once from college mm. to here, so... I just had to make sure I packed all of my clothes in an accessible box because turns out when you go from college or university to an adult house, you don't really need 700 like plastic bins to store random stuff. You know, mm-hmm. you've got cabinets. Um, so you end yep. up getting rid of a lot. <laughs> so since Izzy is unable to record herself, uh, we thought that it would be really fun to interview someone else about their mess because... Our listeners hear a lot about Izzy and I's messes, and this gives someone else someone else the chance <laughs> to talk about it. So, you do a lot. Um, part of this, it, part of that, is your um, spy mystique. Obviously, you're able to tell us <laughs> random things about the most interesting topics. Um, I've done a lot in things in my life, including but not limited to meeting like celebrities on the level of. Um, I just like superstars, like A-list actors um, and producers and everything to like, you've putts around your little garden, just like me. Yes. You've got a lot going on. So is it, is it worth me doing a quick rundown of the things that I yeah. do and have done? Yeah, probably. Okay. So something, <laughs> and some of our listeners will be people who know me from various serves and forums. Um, so I apologize if this is overly patronizing, but so I spent about 10 years of my life working in the film industry. Uh, this is the super spy mm-hmm. stuff everyone talks about, um, because I worked on film sets, and those film sets were traditionally in far-flung places and foreign countries and that kind of thing. So I lived in New Zealand for a little bit. Uh, I lived in India for a little bit. I lived in Jordan for a little bit doing work. I've worked in, I'd say, almost every country in Europe, 
sometimes for a week, sometimes for a month. Just depends on where the shoot went. So you make me a movie and you do, you know, two months in India, two months in Jordan, and then one week in London. Um, so I traveled a lot, about 10 years where I traveled a lot. In amongst this time, I also started a business doing photography. So I was a wedding photographer and a portrait and pinup photographer. I also launched and then closed a book publishing company. So me and my friends published books, genre niche stuff, but we did that for a few years. I've also made podcasts. I also write, I'd say, D&D material. Mm -hmm. And I now live in a leafy suburb in middle England, and I work in IT. Yeah, so basically, yeah, your super spy mystique comes from the fact that you have traveled the world and seem to know a lot about everything because you have done so much. There is a, there's a quote, and it, it's, its author isn't the nicest person in the world, um, but it's Robert okay. A. Heinlein who wrote uh, Star Trek Troopers, and he's an old-school, right-wing, authoritarian American. But he has this quote that specialization is for insects. <laughs> I do know this quote. A human should be able to, and they list a load of things that humans should be able to do. And... Mm -hmm. This is a quote that I love, empowers me. Because, like, yeah, I can't be a mechanic, but I know how engines work. You know, I'm never going to mm -hmm. be a sculptor, but I can throw something together with clay. And that kind of – I'm don't. i not a maker in that aspect. I think I'm just kind of like a fiddler. fiddler. I just fiddle with things. And I just like knowing a bit about a lot of things. And I get bored easily. I've, I've often said – I mean, I think we've talked in the past about – the film work can seem very glamorous. It can seem very, right. you know, fantastic locales, celebrities, and that kind of thing. But ultimately, like, you're spending a month in a hotel in mm -hmm. a place in a foreign country that had, a, had enough room for 200 staff to turn up and make a film. So it's not often, you know, we're not sunny hills and beaches much. Boredom kicks in because you stay in these hotels. I mean, infamously, we did a film where we stayed at the Dead Sea in Jordan for a month. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you've ever been to the Dead Sea at Jordan, the hotels along, along near to the Dead Sea are these massive, opulent, Vegas-style hotels. Um, the one I, the one I said that had four restaurants. It had nightly belly dancing and fire-breathing shows. It had ultimate pools. Oh, it was that kind of hotel. And right. we were there for a month. And after about the first week, you realize that all the shows go on a loop. So you see the Monday show, the next Monday it's the same show. And you right. end up in this weird twilight zone where you're working, but everyone else is there on this fantastic holiday of their lifetime. And it just kind of separates you out from it a little bit. And so you end up doing things. So you end up writing zombie stories with your friends and launching a publishing company because you're bored. You're ultimately very bored. So this right. is how you get into these things. It's boredom um, and having voyages. Yeah. And honestly, I think we're on the same page about this. I also cannot be a specialist. I'm, I adore insects <laughs> in their own little niches, but yeah, I, I can't specialize either and I do get bored as well. So we have similar um, paths, although I am a little bit less varied than you so far. <laughs> I, in fairness, I, I believe I am older than you. You are. You so are. I have but, a few uh, years on you a little bit. Age is not, is not important. You know, it's we're both humans, and I just think if our roles had been reversed and I had ended up in the cinema industry, yeah, I would have gotten bored because, like, even if you're in, even if you're in a one place, you're not doing that that crazy travel, and you're not in this weird disassociative <laughs> mindset where everybody else is on vacation but you have to work. Like, you can get bored really easily at a desk job and that is yeah that's where a lot of my uh busyness comes from too like if i if i just did my day job i would die i think <laughs> <laughs> i think I mean, that's i think that's why film while it worked for me for a long time as a career really worked because you mm -hmm. know when i was working on sets every four months is new film so yeah. new film means new technology new crew new ways of working and because film tends to be very tech driven and my role was tech focused in the industry so each film new cameras coming out new editing some come out so every film is a whole new way of doing things i mean we i, I worked on gravity which is a um a film we shot mostly in cgi by mounting a camera to a like a, the robot you see the building cars mm -hmm. we put a camera on that and we programmed it to move awesome. through the space so we could replicate moves which is something done for years with model making but we've definitely done it really with um actors and we put them in this 
giant, I say giant, 10 foot by 10 foot by 10 foot light cube where every wall was a, a light panel. So if you wanted to put the earth, say Africa, really close, you just put a big yellow thing here and a big white thing here rather than doing traditional lights, do all this sort of stuff. Right. Um, and it, it won many awards for it because the, the guys behind it was some really innovative stuff. So every film becomes a new a new project in a bit. Um, and before, I mean, before I worked on film sets, I worked in post-production where you work on editing films and I was working on well, as a finisher and a colorist. So every two weeks I got a new film on that. And right. that really kept, that kept my level of churn, I suppose, pretty high. But mm-hmm. during that churn still, when I launched uh, my photography business, I started to do photography as a, uh, a wedding and portrait photographer during that time. So clearly there's something broken in me that uh, means that I need to fill every second of hour doing this stuff. But yeah, like, I think... I'm objecting. Yes. You're that, not broken. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that, yeah, I've always liked doing lots of things um, and I've always enjoyed learning a new skill. Um, yes. I, at some point we'll talk about my, my year of skills I took on at one point. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Which is a whole other thing. Could it? Oh, goodness. Um, yeah. We could talk, I'm sure we could talk for hours, but there were two, there are two projects at least that I wanted to ask you about in specific, oh gosh, whatever. Specifically, I wanted to ask you about two projects. Sure. Um, one of them is the podcasting uh, network that you are still running, that you started. Well, well, I'm, I'm not anymore. You're not? So this, what? This, so this is a thing that I, I'm sure I'm this. Fair enough. Which is a network that I set up is being shut down. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I started podcasting about nine years ago, nine, ten years ago. Um, okay. When I was doing publishing, my co-editor on that, mm-hmm. we both like podcasts and we thought about, should we, should we do a podcast about writing? So we did one. We did a podcast about being a writer and it was a mixture of like here's a concept let's talk about it here's a writer's present talk about it let's talk about this you know writing piece we did one on uh miss on sense we did an episode on nanorimo and we did all it's about being a writer written from a point of right. view of we run a publishing company the two of us we run this company we actually get you know every month hundreds of submissions of books which also is this is what we do and so we did this podcast for a while and that was lots of fun, great fun. And then I had another friend who um, I've known since I was 11 or so. We always talked about movies. And we had this years and years and years before podcasting, this massive, long, blown-out row about the movie 300, which he hated, <laughs> hated 300, and I liked. Um, and this like, long debate we had on Facebook about this kind of kept this thing to occasion later. We, do, we thought, we should do some of this. Do, what do we do? Do we write some blog posts about um, movies? And it's like, that's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. For a while, there was talk of writing a book. Um, he's an English okay. English literature, and he has written several books. So we talked about writing a book. Um, in the end, we settled on doing a podcast. And so along mm-hmm. with this, we started a podcast um, called The Prestige, where each week we pick a movie and we discuss some themes around that movie. Um, mm-hmm. That podcast has been running now for five and a half years. We've last week published our 220th episode. Um, each insane. each one being a different movie. We're in, we're in season five currently. Um, and each season's had like a theme. So one season we did directors, one did genre, one we did to franchises. So we watched all the Batman films in order. And currently we're doing a world tour. So we started down in South America and we're working our way around the world, basically, trying to cover film movements, places we haven't heard of. So I started that um, and I had a few other friends who were kind of doing podcasting. And I thought, let's do something with this. Like, There's a power in unity. There's a power in people together. There's a power in us having some sort of brand. So right. I chat with a few friends and we end up setting up a podcast network focused mostly on very niche subjects. We had a board game podcast. We had a couple of general talking podcasts. Um, we had a beer brewing, home brewing podcast. And we had one, which is my personal favorite, which is where two guys were watching all of Looney Tunes from the beginning 
all the way through to Space Jam and forming oh it into gosh. a coherent, cohesive cinematic universe. So, like, actually working out how falling, how does gravity work? There are rules to it. Oh, my god. And, goodness. like, making this work and taking a timeline and all that kind of stuff. And it was very, very funny and chaotic and brilliant. Um, and so we did this all as a group. And we, you know, we, were, mm-hmm. we appeared in each other's shows and all this kind of stuff. And we did, we did a live show um, and all that kind of stuff. And then the pandemic happened. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, okay. Other shows that recorded in, per- in, per- in person didn't happen. The homebrewing show, because they were homebrewing, didn't really happen. Um, mm-hmm. and various reasons why it just faded over the, probably the last six months to a year. So right. yeah, earlier this year, probably a month ago, two months ago, we made the call to wrap it up on the basis that we, a lot of the lives have changed. You know, in while we've been doing this show, I think there've been at least three, three or three or four babies born of the hosts, a couple of marriages, and all this kind of stuff. Like, it is a, a lot of change happened with with the hosts. And right. I think there's also, I mean, without getting all kind of Oprah on us all, um, <laughs> some of it some of it wasn't very successful. It didn't break out into being a very successful show. And we were always looking at niche. There were always going to be niche shows, some of this stuff. But there's niche and right. then there's, it's only a few friends listen to it. And it wasn't worth the effort. And right. I think it was just a kind of occasion, you know what? It's time. It's time to just draw a line under this and move on. But yeah, the network itself, um, which whilst I really love doing it, podcasting is a very hard game these days, um, as I'm sure you know. I do know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it, that, sometimes it can really feel like unless you were successful 10 years ago or are already a celebrity, it's very hard to break out of just being a little niche show. Um, and I think a lot of us kind of reach the point of like, we've been doing this you know, for three, four years and mm-hmm. whilst we enjoy it, we make some good art, it just isn't going to go anywhere and it's time to focus elsewhere. That's a great decision. I mean, if it's too much energy to keep up. And I think that was it. It was just, you know, that there's costs involved in keeping domains and hosting and all of this. It's just like, we're paying a lot of money on this and do we want to do it? Um, so I think that I'll always wish it could take an off. I'll always love podcasting and always love being a right. podcaster. And I do wish it had taken off, but it didn't. And on to yeah. the next thing, I suppose, is the way to do it. So, yeah, but that, that's kind of it, which is obviously a bump shot to you a little bit. Everyone, really, when we talk about it privately, um, and I think I've talked about it a few times in a few servers of our friends. Um, but, yeah, yeah, nothing official has been said, but it is going to be wrapping up almost entirely in the next few months. My goodness, I... Now that we've talked it through, I remember you mentioning a lot of the reasons behind it, but I don't remember like registering that you it was actually happening. So, yep. well, I'm glad I asked about it because it's a very it's a very important thing. It's it's one of these things for people like us and like Izzy and like I don't know, like dozens of our friends who do lots of things. At some point, you may have to call it on something mm-hmm. you love. I mean, and it's I, a really hard choice. Yeah, and I think I've I mean I've got I've got form, but like. I used to be a photographer and I'm not anymore. I'm mm-hmm. a publishing house. I don't anymore. And I used to be a filmmaker and I don't anymore. And, mm-hmm. you know, I used to work in a prison. I don't anymore. But there's an element of, um, there's an element of <laughs> I'm like, sorry, I didn't yeah, know I'm, that I'm sure, <laughs> at some point I just dropped into the conversation with you just to see how you handle it. Um, <laughs> I think there's, there's an element of being sad when a thing stops, but also being aware mm-hmm. of the reason why it's stopping. Um, I mean, a great example is my photography. Um, I love mm-hmm. being a photographer. I think, I think I've put my hand on my heart. I think that the thing I was most talented at in my, my life as a, as a skill is being a photographer. It's the thing I'm the best at. Mm-hmm. But I have a family and I don't give up every right. weekend to go shoot weddings. Um, and weddings are right. very high stress days and you, you, they are in best case scenario at 10 hour day. Very often they've been 14, 18 hour days. Um, mm-hmm. they are very high stress. Um, and I just, it's a, it's a young man's game, they say, but it's like, I'm happy just to go. I had a great fun time doing it. Brilliant memories and made some brilliant art. And now I'm finding something else because my life, which is more important to me than my creativity is my life is changing. Right. Um, yeah, that, I mean that, yeah. One of those choices is, do you give up? your life for your art or do you give up your art for your life? And I would hope that most people 
would be able to choose their life over their art and understand that. I mean, even if photography, for example, I mean, you've already said, since photography was your greatest talent, that is a very hard choice. But there are ways to enjoy your talent that don't involve 18 hour days on the weekend. Yeah. And I think also, I mean, that, that, that choice of art versus life, I think it changes as your life changes. I think when I was 22, 23, like it was all about mm-hmm. the art. Like yeah, my life was could come when it came because I was young, I was making steps, all that stuff. Like my film days, like I could focus on doing that stuff because not that it wasn't more important than my life, but my life was going to come. And that as I got right. older and settled down all of that, actually, you know what? Now my life is in a situation where that's more important to me. So I'm going to give up my art or choose different art or choose different things um, that fit in better with my life, which leads us handily onto your other project we're talking about. See? See how I did that? That's 10 years of podcasting right there. <laughs> good at transitions. Lovely. I wish to be that good at it um, <laughs> one day. So the other thing I was going to ask about is uh, Dungeons & Dragons writing, and specifically, you have named a project soon. Yes. Or, so, Well, I guess recently. <laughs> recently, yeah. So gone a little bit back to my roots. Um, and I talked earlier about how I used to be a book publisher. Um, and that came out of a place of me being bored in a hotel room and <laughs> writing satirical is not the right word, but mildly humorous, faux serious zombie defense plans for my hometown. My gosh. Okay. Epic. <laughs> so, so we're jumping, this isn't about what I'm doing now. This is old stuff, but there's a story here. Um, so the long story is that I have a good friend called Rich, uh, who I've known since I was 13, 14, and we kind of synced up our life a little bit with having being young, having some money, and being bored. Mm-hmm. And so we'd drink a lot. We'd go drinking in town, and one day we had this epic and long-ranging conversation about how the cinema in our hometown is the perfect place to hole up for a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> I think we've just seen a zombie film. <laughs> Um, it's literally you walk in front of the door there's escalators up and it's all up on the second floor and that kind of thing um, and he works in corporate um, finance right he's an absolute like, I, I love him dearly but he's like a a, a corporate raider mm-hmm. and he had done a job on cinemas and things like the hot dogs you have in cinemas they keep them at room temperature and they last like 10 years um, and like the food stuffs are Gross. built for long term <laughs> um, and so we had this long conversation about how we could hold up in the cinema I was then bored in a hotel room, as all these things were. And I wrote this up as like a faux military plan mm-hmm. called Plan Beta. Um, the occupation liberation of uh, the cinema. And it was like, here's like here's the steps to do it, that kind of stuff. I put it on Facebook. My friends thought it was hilarious and worrying. And then I wrote three or four more of these um, of different parts of places in our town. Uh, I've got more somewhere, but they're no longer annoying. <laughs> And this birthed a Facebook group um, called the Berkshire Zombie Defence League, mm-hmm. which is because this was, it was 2008, nine, like the height of that zombie period we had for a while. Yeah. Um, and this, in turn, birthed the UK Zombie Defence League. Um, we made badges and all that. Um, and just through the conversation of the groups, we kept talking that we had a lot of people in that who were creatives. Mm-hmm. There were some crazy military types um but a lot of creatives and we got yeah we've got four or five good writers here who write things let's do something like that mm-hmm. so we put together a um short story collection called the dead files okay which is a collection of zombie stories um only a tiny little i mean hang on here but only a tiny little bit like a, a bit bigger than a5 a little like pamphlet okay but we had 10 stories 200 pages a little a book um and we put it out on self-publishing platforms. It went well. And we went on to publish five more of those, Whoa. Um, including a Christmas special, which I'm very proud of. Christmas zombies. We did amazing. a Christmas <laughs> Christmas zombies one. Um, and we published, I think, three novels um, and various other things under the guise of this publishing house. Mm-hmm. So I've always liked writing. I've always done writing. Alongside this, I've always played Dungeons & Dragons. Yes. I've always been a big Dungeons & Dragons fan. Um, and I've always been the one who runs the game. I like being a dungeon master and running the games that comes up with these. So I would say probably a year ago now, 
probably a year ago now. Almost to um, the day. <laughs> I, something like that. Yeah. I thought I should do something with this. I should do all these ideas and things I've made up for these games and do something. I wanted to be creative. I wanted to do something. And I kind of wanted something without being too, I suppose, selfish that didn't rely on other people that I could just do that didn't require me to have a schedule for recording. It didn't require headsets, microphones and all that. Gear. It was just me. And I thought, I'll do a newsletter. So I started a newsletter, mm-hmm. and it's a weekly newsletter of um, like dungeon mastering advice. Right. Um, and the main focus of it is a thing for your game. So it could be a spell, it could be a monster, it could be an NPC, it could be a magical weapon. And each week I do something. I do a little bit of a, a little bit of a story to start it of like placing it in a world, the in-game stats and the in-game story, and then I do a little bit on like the design process, like mm-hmm. what I was trying to do with this, what problem I'm trying to solve, what inspired it, all that kind of stuff. Rather than being like, here's a thing. I wanted it to be a bit more, here's a thing, and here's why I've done what I've done. Right, yeah. Because I think I think the strength in Dungeons & Dragons is that people can, and in any role-playing games, you can make it your own. Yeah. So my hope is in by explaining what I'm doing, you can look at it and go, well, I get you to this point, but at this point here, I would do something else. And so you can take what I've made and make a change. But if you know how I've built it, it's easier for you to change it. Right. Kind of like a um, standing on the shoulders of giants type deal. Uh, yeah. I, I, I would hesitate to call myself a giant. But I, uh, yeah. The, the, the idea <laughs> is that... I don't know. Hey, this is going to get um, deep now. I am strictly against this idea that you should keep your process private. Okay. I think that so many creatives think that how they make what they make needs to be this great big secret, and that's the value of what they do. And I don't believe that. I think that if I can explain how I made something, all that does is help the other person, and it helps them do it more. They can do everything. And I think that and this comes from my photography days. There are photographers who will never tell you how they did, did stuff. And then photographers who will be like, literally, this is how I shot it. This is the cameras I use. This is the um, lights I use, how I place it, everything. And I'm always on this camp. And I just think that there's no value in keeping what you know secret. So I try and explain as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been doing this for a year now. Um, and alongside this, I've been running some online games for Dean Dragons for Maddie and our other friends. Yep. Um, which has been lots and lots of fun. Um, some people have played before, some people haven't. And I think we started with three games. Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, that with about 15 players. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're now at seven or eight games. Yeah. I'd say. Eight. Trying to um, only which Only which four of which are run by me. All the rest are run by other people. Mm-hmm. Um Maddie runs one, and our friend Jake runs one, our friend Ben runs one, um, and our friend Judica runs one. Yes. I think Judica has played before, and uh, run before, but I'm Jake, Ben, and Maddie, I believe you're all brand new to this. Yeah, you introduced all three of us. Well, I think actually, Jake might have played 40k. Yes. But the three of us, um, this is our first D&D experience, or DMing experience. And you're now running games, yeah. and I think that's... And that's like genuinely my biggest joy of this whole thing. Um, I, I love running the games, but seeing you guys come on and like run your own games and they're amazing games. They're all like wildly different and very, very you. Like I can look, I can, I can read the game that we're playing with Maddie and go, yeah, that's a Maddie game. You see how Maddie's in this. And I can look at Jake's game and go, yeah, yeah, that's Jake. And same with Ben. I can look at these games and go, yeah, I can see how the personalities of my friends are echoed in these games. Yeah, now that you say that, and, uh, Ben's game is kind of like goofball, wild goose chase. Um, yes. Jake, I mean this in the... Ben, the Ben's the, is very fun. It is, yeah, it's very fun. Jake, yeah, I mean this in a loving fun. way. His game is grim, dark, somehow mm-hmm. still funny. <laughs> yes. I can't judge my own Absolutely. game because it and just be- feels like me, so... Y- your game is... I would say, I mean, I've been playing your game a little bit recently, mm-hmm. um, but the depth of the world behind it is the thing that I get from that, is that you feel that if I decided to take a left turn and go over a random mountain, you, as a DM, would know what's there. 
I won't tell um, whether I don't. I actually <laughs> exactly. don't. But but, <laughs> but I get what you're saying. Yeah. But that's the vibe. You build you build this incredibly rich world mm-hmm. um, in your games, and that's that's brilliant. And I yeah, I say alongside I'm bringing these games, um, and I think we've kind of done what I've done a lot in my career is kind of gone. I've got some friends here. Mm-hmm. We're all creative. Let's create some things together. Yeah. So we are. We are. <laughs> we are. We are basically um, the big reveal. <laughs> I won't go too much details because nothing is published or released yet and all those things. Um, but essentially, we are working on things. We are working on books and things to publish. Um, and it isn't a newsletter that I run. That's still going on. But this is going to be actual published books and stuff that we can go, here's a thing, a whole thing that we made together. Um, and... I would say I haven't been this creatively excited in years. Oh, that's so good to hear. I'm really looking. Oh. I'm really looking forward to doing this. Um, you know, like we, we, the five of us have been friends now for two years, two and a bit years. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah, start the pandemic. Oh man. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, we are pandemic pandemic pals, <laughs> um, and I, we feel very close to group friends. Um, and I love that we're doing this and like already, I mean, I, I, I kind of brought a half written thing that I've been working on, mm-hmm. which is about, um, familiars and pets, that kind of thing within D and D, uh, I brought it to the group with only a couple of things that I thought felt me finishing off and already like it's gone in ways I couldn't have imagined and that I love the things we've got brought into this book that I was like, absolutely. Like as soon as they came, absolutely, this is right. This is perfect. Um, and I would never have thought of it. Yeah, I can see that happening already, especially, so, backstory for people who don't know, uh, a lot of our friends like to think that they're not creative, even though they clearly are. Um, yes. So, you brought us a half-finished book, and the I'm not creative folk were like, uh, oh, I've got like eight ideas for this. And we're just like, mm. and you say you're not creative. So, I it's been fun. I will say this. I can understand that because there are days when I don't feel creative either. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, you know, I, I work in a pretty uncreative day job. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are days when I'm like, I'm just cranking widgets till I die here. And there are days when I don't feel like I'm creative. And it doesn't help when you have people in your life, like Maddie, who write novels and are these creative powerhouses. And you can go, well, I'm just over here, you know, inventing magic swords. Um, and I think you can feel, I get where that comes from. Um, <laughs> yeah. But then then you get into creating something, yes, I can do this. And I, I agree. I think that the amount of people complain about how they aren't creative and then just turn around and just drop this creation on you. Yeah. And you just, you just kind of like, well... This is a mirror. Can you, can you see yourself and what you're doing here? <laughs> yes. Sorry. We love you guys. We're just teasing. Yes, we, we are just teasing. It's one of the reasons that I think this happens, especially with our, um, I want to say they're not, they, they also don't have creative day job uh, or career paths that they're going down. So yeah. I think they're identifying with that rather than what we can clearly see as creation, you know? Um, especially because, at, at least this was my experience, you're not creative unless you're making mm. art. And it's like... Yes. Or at least that's what society is kind of throwing at us. And it's like, well, not really, because you know anything that you create is creative. So, um, long story short, they are creative, and it's been awesome already. Um, what, did, what did one of them bring? Like what a two-headed snakes? snake? Like, a two-headed snake, I love it. I would have it. never thought of that. <laughs> um, so it's yeah. gonna be fun. I, I, it's, it's 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 absolutely brilliant, and I think I'm just really looking forward to what we can do there. I think you've touched on something there, which is is this weird wider issue that I've or have, I may have talked about this earlier. Is that I don't like the title artist. Oh, we didn't talk about this. You need to tell me about this. Um, so this is this, this is if you're, into, if you're into photography in any kind of professional setting, mm-hmm. there's this real big view that we are artists especially in like wedding photography 
or portrait photography, um, commercial photography. You're an artist. You, you, your artworks and you, a lot of branding around being an artist. Mm-hmm. And I've never liked that because I don't think I'm an artist in what I do. Even in my most creative photography endeavours as a wedding photographer, I was not an artist. But I always view that art is taking something of me mm-hmm. and making it and giving it. And that is art. And that people do art. And I have done art in my life. Mm-hmm. But what I was doing as a wedding photographer wasn't that. I was capturing the moment and I was doing something for somebody. I was an entertainer. I put myself in that kind of guildsman, workman, entertainer model of what I was creating. You know, no one looks at someone like... um, I'm trying to think of an international one people understand. Um, In the UK, someone like Graham Norton. Or in America, someone like... um, Walter Cronkite, or something like a TV presenter. Mm-hmm. Like the guys who host, I don't know, um, The Floor is Lava or whatever terrible show there is going really. like Those guys, <laughs> they aren't artists. Right. No one thinks of them as artists. They are there serving the story, they're serving the show, they're serving the audience. And that's how I th- so much of creative work is entertainment. And I think that's okay. I think it's okay to be entertaining. Yeah. You can be entertaining art, but as my role as a photographer was always to be, I view as an entertainer for my clients, for the couple get married, mm-hmm. not an artist. Um, but that is a controversial hot take because a lot of photographers are very adamant that they are artists. Um, having, and I think yeah. part of that is because... I mean, oh, I was going to say, I was going to say, having never been a photographer, I can see where you're coming from. So you're probably talking to one of the best people to have this conversation with. Um, because I have also never thought of myself as an artist and I do everything from writing novels and, and sewing things. And, you know, some, some people who are, um, oh goodness, what's the word? Not seamstress. Uh, there's a gender neutral term now. Oh, sewist. There we go. Got it. So people who are sewists now are referring to their, their work as art. Um, I can, can paint it's not great you know if i need to i can um i've never considered myself an artist i've always considered myself just creative lowercase adjective creative um it's never been identity it's just been hmm it's been it's just been a descriptor so i think i think i can understand where you're coming from here because i don't think if i if i were to get published when i get published Mm -hmm. i won't be considering that art no. I think part of it is weirdly comes from the democratization of these arts. Mm-hmm. Is that if everyone at your wedding has got a camera, and they do, and something like an iPhone got a pretty good camera, mm-hmm. and something like the portrait mode is a pretty good effect, being a paid wedding photographer who has the big cameras, the big Nikon, big lenses, all of that, like setting yourself up as an artist marks yourself as different from uncle john who can come and set for off wedding on there you know it's that step up mm-hmm. and i get where that comes from from a commercial branding point of view yeah um i it's just one of those things that it's never sat well with me um but this is i think in ties to the earlier point about our friends is that i think a lot of people are raised in this world that you are either a creative or you're not right you're like like, like, like you're pushed down one path or other and my school was not a creative school my school did not value the creative arts in any way Mm -hmm. it was maths physics chemistry biology english go off to um a red brick university oxford cambridge and read law or be a doctor or be that that is what the school was there for i mean they did do art with art with drama um art and drama were the two Mm -hmm. creatives we used to do and they were only because those were mandated by the curriculum, really. Right. Um, so part of that is my upbringing. But like, I do think that so many people can go, well, I'm put in this box where I'm not creative because of choices I've made when I was 15. Right. In terms of my career path. And you just get stuck there. And you think, well, I've never been creative. I've got this job because of what I chose to do. What I liked when I was a kid. And, you know, unless you get the habits of being creative at a young age, mm-hmm. once you settle down with families and lives, it's very hard to carve out that time. It is, yeah. I'm I'm not even at the family stage. And even, I mean, if I hadn't had the creative habit before I went to university, mm-hmm. I don't think I would be creative now. 
Um, no. Or at least not in the same way, you know? I, mm-hmm. I might still be that um, struggling to get out of the non-creative box artist. Ah, uh, shoot. I called myself an artist. It's, I, I, there's nothing wrong with being an artist. Right. I just think the, the the tyranny of if you create, you are an artist is a different thing. I think there are demarcations within that. Yeah. Like, for example, I think my writing and under my newsletter is not art. It's entertainment. Yeah, that's fair. And I'm not a artist in what I create there. I am trying to help people with their games and I'm creating entertainment for them. Yeah. Um, and that's not better or worse than art. It's just a different thing. Right. Yeah. I just, you know, trying to be uh, clear with my words here. So, like, if I had gone down the path where I just never touched the traditionally creative fields, I don't know that I would have a completed book. I don't know that I would have a sewing machine five feet that way. You know, I I don't know that I would be exercising my creativity in any of these ways that that most people would say are a creative pursuit. Now, mm. I personally think, you know, a developer, a software developer, they can be creative. Um, it's mm. just a different type of creativity. Like, it's a logical creativity that I personally don't possess. I've got the logic, but I, <laughs> I don't care so much about mm-hmm. being creative with that logic. Um, yeah, so anyway... I could go on about creativity for a long time because I have so many opinions about it. And now that we've talked about artist versus creative versus entertainer, I think that's going to be another facet of that fascination I've had since I was like 10. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think, I I don't know. I think as I said earlier, like I'm, I'm a bit older than Maddie. Um, I'm uh, into middle age and I've done a lot of, creative outlets in my life i've made movies i've been a dj um i've danced i've done all these things um and when you do that many things you end up having theories and opinions on it yeah and i think that's a good thing i think that's a good thing i think you're the same infamously maddie tries to uh push the book refusing to choose onto all of us oh yeah um Um, you should still read it we haven't talked about it in weeks but we should still read it um so and then that's very that i think is very much the way I, I that book spoke to me in that kind of way of like i couldn't say at age 10 i'd like i'm gonna make get more games that wasn't like it was a passion for me mm-hmm. um i've just done a lot of creative things and some have stuck and some haven't and the journey is the fun part like even the projects of mine that haven't worked out be they podcasts or books i've enjoyed making them that's great and that's pretty much okay for me <laughs> yeah that's great you honestly know, getting out before i hated making them is always a good sign yeah that yeah mm. that's the line mm. as soon as you start hating the process that's when you need to stop because if you want to write or paint to have or even code to have the finished object that's that's not the way to go about it my friend it's not because you're going to be miserable every single day that you're trying to get that thing out the door. And I, I will t- tell this story. I, for a while I was working on a podcast about the history of Walt Disney World. Okay. I'm a big Disney fan. Um, and I was working on this podcast um, that was, the intention was I would go week episode talking about one attraction. Mm-hmm. So the first week I would look at the ones that opened first. So the railroad, it's not in Main Street, Railroad, and all the ones that were in the park and go, well, this were open on this day and they did this. And over like maybe a 20 minute episode, half hour episode, we'd go through who, I mean, I, the first episode on the trains, I tracked down where in Brazil they found the trains and how they got them back to America and the guy who drove them and all of that, the, the original name, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. This deep dive history into. Um, the trains that run around Walt Disney World. And I put together this first episode, and it was, A, it was fine. It wasn't anything revolutionary. And B, I was just like, I hated every minute of that. Mm-hmm. I, I like learning stuff, but trying to take that deluge of research and turn it into a convinced, coherent story, just didn't enjoy it. I just didn't enjoy it. I, just, I, just, I thought, I've got... 200 episodes planned of this across all the parks and all the right like i don't want to do this no i just don't want to do it i want what i'm trying to make to exist i want the thing that i'm making to exist i just can't make it right 
Um, and so I have on, on the hard disk computer here, I've got uh, one or two for letters. One was a pre a pre episode about how they found the park and the process by which they bought the land. And then this pilot episode about the trains, writing research recorded and just died. It just wasn't, you know, this, I don't want to do this. The, the time taken to do it didn't enjoy it. And I think that's the important thing with all this stuff is that the second you stop enjoying doing it, it's okay to say I'm done. Yes. I am a hundred percent with you. Um, and I will tell anybody who says that you have to be an adult and push through those moments that they're wrong. I don't ever have to grow up. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, this this is one of those weird divides that as a, as a non-American living in predominantly Americanized world, Mm -hmm. this hustle culture that thankfully is going away a little bit now, but for a while was quite dominant. Um, it's just like, I just don't want to do it. I don't want to spend 40 years sucking away at something I hate just for a payoff. Yeah. I want to enjoy my life day to day. I've, I've lost too many people far too young to think, you know, I'm not enjoying today. Yep. You know, if, uh, this is a great example of this podcast. Like, if I was, you know, there are podcasts I could go and spend my hours doing guest podcasts to push up the brand and that sort of stuff. And... I could do that, but I'd rather chat with my friend about fun stuff like creativity theory and, you know, oh, yeah. zombies than spend my life worrying about, you know, am I getting enough hits and that kind of thing. And that's fine. That's my choice. People who want to go down that route, absolutely they can. Yeah. It's just, if you aren't enjoying it, don't do it. Yeah. I think we're on the same page here. It, uh, what was I listening to earlier today? I think it was the Happiness Lab, another podcast, which is great and people should listen to it. Um, and they had Brene Brown on um, mm-hmm. about her newest book. I've started reading her book. Yeah. Which one are you reading again? Uh, Dare to Lead. Okay. So they were talking about her newest one, which is Atlas of the Heart, which is the one I think I'm going to read first. I've never read any of her books, mm-hmm. but I've, you know, she's been around for a, a while now, and I just kept putting off reading some of her books. I don't know why. Anyway, so they were talking about how... Um, our emotions, the emotions we feel every day, they make up our lives. So if you're spending 10 hours a day being miserable because you're commuting to a job you hate, yep. that 10 hours a day becomes, you know, 70 hours, well, not 70, I'm doing math wrong, 50 hours a week. And like, that adds up so fast. And it's like, you're going to spend how much of your life hating mm-hmm. most of it? That's just, that's just not cool. Stop. <laughs> like, like. Yeah. The one thing I think I, I had a moment when my, my daughter was born and I was not doing well with everything, um, with a few things in my life. And one of my oldest friends, old, like, I've known him since I was as poor as I can be, and he's got two sons. And he said to me, your daughter deserves a happy dad. Mm-hmm. And it floored me. I was just like, I'd never even thought about that. I'm like, well, you know, I'm I'm a man. I'm the rock of the family. I've got to keep going. And he's like, your daughter doesn't want you to be a rock. She wants you to be happy. Yep. And... That really changed for me. Changed a bunch of things in my life. I'm like, you know what? She does love me happy. She wants me to be happy. You know, she doesn't want to grow up with a sad dad who hates his life um, because she's part of that life. Yeah. So, um, so have kids. That's the way forward. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that might be the most controversial thing you said today. <laughs> oh, no. I, I did promise Izzy that I would go on a rant about about uh, date formats. Oh, um, yeah. And how the Americans do it wrong. Um, I think you also um, wanted to berate me about calling it cilantro. So, you know, yes, the floor well, is open for that. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just saying, like, it's cool English. You speak English. <laughs> and you might be calling it American slash simplified. But it is English. And so I think you should listen to the Queen. Um, her being the most English English person there ever was. And uh, just call it coriander. I mean, you make a good argument, but I'm going to go back to the argument that when we split off from British English, when we became American English, it was because yes. your king at the time was being a total jerk. And you were being ungrateful. <laughs> That's true. You know, he, he raised you up from where you were. <laughs> you know, he, he was a good and loving and honorable king, as all kings are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of them. But, uh, <laughs> This, this is this bit. It's only funny if people know me and know that I'm a staunch anti-monarchist. And like anyone who doesn't know me, be like, "Well, that that that, that guy was he was he was, he was very uh, really pro-royal family, are you?" 
Yes. Oh, I love them. I love them. Those, you know, really follow the royal love story. The uh, how do you feel about Harry? (laughs) What's the other one's name? (laughs) This is the strange thing. Is like I don't know how this plays in America, but like the British establishment hate Meghan and Harry. Like with a fiery, deep passion, hate the two of them. Uh And like the, the amount of inches that are spent lambasting them for everything they do twitter hates them they are hated because they aren't you know what we want from a king and they love that william and kate um and it's all just it's all just they're just an old rich family who are full of terrible people yeah yeah um i think in america it plays more like harry's been um wrongfully cut off from his family because mm-hmm. of the British... By est- her or by them? By by them, by the British establishment. Uh-huh. Like, there's a lot of, like, people who are like, if only the British establishment could just accept Meghan, then everything mm-hmm. would be fine. And it's like, maybe, but it also seems like there was a lot going on there. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 It's, <clears throat> yeah, it, it's a whole thing and it needs to go away. It, anyway, before I <laughs> devolve your lovely, genteel uh, podcast into my left wing anti monarchist rave plantings. Um, um, have you even listened to the podcast? <laughs> no, I never listened. I just, I just, it just, <laughs> I don't know, it's all a bit too twee for me. <laughs> uh, I don't think I've ever been called twee in my life. I think that was a good compliment. <laughs> You're very twee. Am I? I don't know what twee means. Yes. I'm going to Google it now. Anyway. So you- twee is, it's cottage living. It's, you know. Okay, that sounds right. <laughs> you could see you in, you know, in like, a, if you had a hat that looked like a, like a mushroom top, like that would make sense. Okay, I don't go you that know, far. If your best friend was a hedgehog, we'd all understand, <laughs> you know? Okay, hang on. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know. Guess what I have hanging on my wall? A little hedgehog with a red tie. <laughs> He's very cute. But uh, yeah, twee is, is, is a thing I'd say. Okay. Meant with all love, obviously. Yeah, of course. I looked it up and I agree with this definition. I, I don't think I would wear a mushroom hat, but that just might be like cottage core. I think what I'm saying is if one day you came to and said, I've got this hat, I look like a mushroom, I love it. We, we'd all be like, yeah, that seems right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it feels like that sounds like a manly thing. Okay. I can see where you get that. Anyway, my point was, yeah. if you've ever listened to the podcast, you would know that Izzy and I go on rants about... um communist theory and then we go completely sidelined and talk about my dogs for about 10 minutes every time so you didn't derail us yeah sorry (laughs) don't say sorry it's fun okay we should probably end it on a good note in which i'm staring at my friend gerald who is the hedgehog or shoot is the wolf named gerald i've got lots of friends on my desk people anyway this has been above the mess You can find us at AboveTheMess.com on Instagram and Twitter with the username AboveTheMessPod. You can send us follow-up questions or advice via our email or DMs. And you can find Izzy at Stardust.fm, myself at FlexPotential.com. And even though Tib is a super spy, um, you can follow him on Twitter at at Tib Winterfield. I am there. I'm a spy, but I'm there. Okay. Apparently spies use Twitter. Bye-bye, y'all. There's a whole conversation about number stations and how they're now all Twitter.